Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that your tongue is the only muscle in your body that is only attached at one end. That is, unless you've really pulled a muscle somewhere else in your body, in which case you might want to get that looked at. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today, I'm really excited that we have Paul Jaminet, the author of the newly released Perfect Health Diet book on the show. On today's show, I'm really excited to have Paul Jaminet, Ph.D., Paul is author of The Perfect Health Diet, which is an excellent book about nutrition and diet and wellness and overcoming chronic diseases. Paul is particularly interesting because he's a astrophysicist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, or I should say he was an astrophysicist there, and he became a software entrepreneur during the internet boom, just like I did, and now he provides strategic advice to entrepreneurial companies while also pursuing research and economics. But what Paul did 
overcoming his own chronic illness has been key to some unusual views on aging and disease, and he's put those down in his new book. It's a book I highly recommend you read, and I consider Paul to be a very reliable, very credible source of information for biohackers. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, Dave, thanks for having me. It's great to be on with you. Uh, before we get into your new book, tell me a little bit about your origins. How did you get interested in a natural or an ancestral kind of diet? Well, you sort of described a, a lot of my history, um, but one aspect of it that that led me to this was I, I had a, uh, a long history of health problems, and they started in infancy. I was in and out of the hospital with chronic ear infections that uh, uh, couldn't be treated, had some surgeries related to it uh, as, a, as a very young child. And I think I, I picked up uh, at least one chronic infection either in the womb or at birth. Uh, my mother had cancer while she was pregnant with me and was a little sick. Um, and that seemed to stick with me uh, throughout life. And uh, uh, But I started getting you know, gradually worse all through my 30s and early 40s. And by my early 40s, I was becoming disabled. And I couldn't get a diagnosis or treatment out of doctors. And then I discovered the paleo diet through Art Devaney. And that was the first thing I tried that made a big difference. And so that got me excited. And that's how I got into ancestral health. Uh, that was in 2005. And, uh, but it didn't work perfectly for me, and uh, uh, and it it fixed some of my problems, some of my symptoms, but it created new new symptoms, and uh, so that got me interested, and so that's how I got into biohacking. You know, trying to figure out my own body, my own health, uh, figure out how to recover. Uh, so the paleo diet gave me a great clue that uh, diet was very powerful, had a big impact. On health, and uh, so I started trying to figure out how to maximize, how to optimize my diet, how to optimize nutrition, and uh, uh, that was a long project. But eventually, I found enough answers, and my wife did also. So she had some chronic health problems also, and uh, uh, most of those went away. So, um, you know, we felt like we had learned a lot of things, and we had an obligation to share them. So we started blogging and wrote a book. It's amazing sometimes how people who come from outside the traditional field of nutrition or medicine see things in a different way. I, I love that story. Yeah, I think actually sometimes that's essential. You know, I think one of the problems with the modern scientific world is they keep people in a specialty their whole lives. You know, you pick something in graduate school and then you have to stay in that specialty. You can't get funding to do anything else. Um, and it really narrows people's vision and uh you know, sort of prevents innovative thinking. Uh, you know, so in some ways, it's almost easier to come in from outside the academic world and uh, and figure some of these things out. There's nothing like impending disability to really motivate you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and that's an interesting thing. I actually, when we published our diet, I I figured it, it would work for all kinds of health problems because I was pretty confident we were removing most of the causes of chronic disease. Uh, but I didn't really know which uh, diseases 
you know, it would actually prove itself with first and in the, in the largest number of people. And one of them that surprised me was migraines. Yes. Uh, we've had like, you know, 15 or so migraine cures of people who have had migraines for 15, 20 years and, and cured them on our diet, usually the ketogenic version of the diet. And I, it, you know, I was surprised that I hadn't expected that, you know, particularly uh, condition to be the one that would be, uh, you know, cured so often. But uh, it turns out people who have headaches are very motivated to, you know, to cure their health. But they're not so disabled that, uh, you know, they can't they can't think and, you know, read a book and uh, and try new things. So, so that definitely pain and disability do motivate people. They do. And, and some of the most difficult things to deal with are, are brain fog. Because when you get brain fog, it's hard to think clearly enough to, to make clear decisions and understand what's going on in your health. And that's why books like your book and things like uh, The Bulletproof Diet, which is pretty similar to some of your things but different than other, uh, other, some other things you do. I don't want to say they're the same, but they're in the same vein of ancestral base kind of diets. And when people who have enough cognitive function to stick with it for a little while experience the clarity that can come there, like you said, people with migraines, it's, it's life-changing and God, the motivation is so strong. Uh, um, I bought disability insurance when I was 26 because of, of, I could feel what was going on and it's scary at any time in life. So I would encourage our listeners who are dealing with any kind of chronic health problem to start biohacking and definitely read this book. It's worth getting the perfect health diet. It's on my bookshelf. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I, I think, you know, people don't realize how powerful natural healing methods are and, uh, you know, how big an effect a bad diet can have on your health and also a bad lifestyle. So I know, you want to talk about that uh, lifestyle aspects too later. So, so let's let's talk a bit more about why people need to understand the evolution and biology of the food that they're eating. What's your take on that? Well, I th I think it's it's not only important for people to understand you know what they should do to be healthy, but it's good to also understand why. And uh, you know. Because we're bombarded with all this different health advice and health opinions, and if it's just if it's just coming from you know some authority who says try this, you know then there's always going to be another authority coming along saying something else. And so if you don't understand the logic and the evidence behind something, it's hard to stick to a certain approach. And you know I think in many health conditions they'll uh, be fixed <coughs> right away. Uh, and so then you can just go by how you feel. But a lot of health conditions take a long time to resolve. You know, and even something as simple as a nutrient deficiency, a nutrient deficient, many nutrient deficiencies take months to develop, um, and they can take months to uh, repair. So you may not notice an effect very quickly. You may not notice the effect of causing the problem, that uh, debilitation. Um, and you may not notice immediate benefits from uh, the steps that fix it. So that sort of thing makes it very difficult to just self-experiment without any knowledge and, you know, without any guidance, without, uh, 
you know, a framework to work in. You need to get close to the truth first, you know, optimize enough a lot of things, and then you can experiment with a few other variables. You know, so I think for effective biohacking, uh, you know, to troubleshoot your own problems, you really need uh, a certain depth of understanding. And you need to understand that, you know, for certain things, you're very unlikely to get any benefit out of varying from uh, the approach that's optimal for almost everybody. You know, like for instance, you know, the vitamin D levels, we have a certain optimum level of vitamin D. And if you get too little sunshine or if you over supplement, you know, then it's, it's very likely to hurt you. And so something like that, you might as well just aim for the optimum and, and look at other variables to tweak. You know, but then there are other things that, you know, can sort of interact with your health that you may want to vary. You know, like for instance, how many carbs you eat. So it, it's good to have some understanding of your own biology and of the causes of, of diseases and disorders because that really helps you troubleshoot your own health and figure out how to optimize it, you know, within a reasonable time scale. It, it wouldn't it be nice if every baby came with the user operator manual. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> in some ways, that's what that's what we're trying to write. It so, is exactly um, what we're trying. You to know, do. it's a work in progress to make this operating manual for a human being. I, I suspect we'll continue writing it for the rest of the future of our species. But the internet and software and cloud computing, all those things have come together to make it achievable for us to generate the knowledge and identify the knowledge and look at the data about what we think works versus what does work. I, I'm actually optimistic. Are you that in the next you know, 50 or 100 years, we're going to get this down? Or do you think politics are going to get in the way? Oh, well, politics always get in the way, but I think it's going to happen a lot faster. You know, I think... Uh I think, you know, we're getting things like quantified self tools, like, uh, you know, people are, are going to be able to upload their lab tests and, and so on. We'll be able to compare what people are doing uh, across large numbers of people. You know, I think we'll get much better data than we've ever had before about, you know, what do people do that leads to disease and what do people do to cure things. And I think also... You know, the whole uh, biomedical research complex, the practice of medicine has been following a certain model for the last 50, 60 years uh, that's based around the assumption that our bodies sort of spontaneously self-destruct <laughs> and the way to treat it is with a pharmaceutical drug that, you know, sort of sabotages some other bodily process. So, you know, something in your body is broken and if you sabotage something else that balances it, then maybe you can restore a balance. So two wrongs can make a right. You know, so like, you know, the assumption is, say, acid reflux is due to too much acid production. You know, for some reason, your body suddenly started producing more acid. And if we just give a drug that shuts down acid production, then everything will be great. You know, so that's kind of the theory. Uh, and it hasn't worked. And, uh, you know, so... That whole model has been kind of a failure, and you know I think a lot of people are realizing that, and they're turning more toward natural healing methods and find that that they often work a lot better. And uh, you know I think as the word spreads, and as that you know traditional pharmaceutical 
based approach gets more and more expensive and you know for many people unaffordable you know they'll be driven to look in alternatives they'll find the alternatives work so i think you know between the technologies coming that will support that and prove uh the benefits of a natural approach and the failure of the other approach and you know sort of the financial issues driving you know motivating change i think it it could all come together very quickly would you believe that i just signed up for a service for the next 3 years i'll be getting monthly tests of my vitamin levels and my hormone levels uh, you know 12 times a year and the total cost was about $1000 for all 3 years oh that's great so, yeah that's a that's a real deal if these are new uh, things coming online, quantify self-style, but we are, like you said, we're going to be getting this data and we're going to be able to share it. And I'm, I'm super excited. And I think that work like your book, The Perfect Health Diet, is, is going to be really important because people can try the things that you write about or the things I write about and they can say it worked or it didn't work and here's what it did. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. And, and if you think of, uh, you know, say a million people getting you know, very detailed, extensive data and sharing it online, being able to do analytics, you know, following their health over a period of years. You know, the extent of that data is so much larger than, uh, you know, the size and scope of the uh, clinical trials that are published in papers. And, you know, it could turn up on, you know, an awful lot of insight. And, uh, you know, and those clinical trials are, are hugely expensive. You know, whereas, you know, something like sharing data, it could almost be like, uh, you know, sort of like the blogosphere, lots of, you know, or open source software, lots of, you know, very interested volunteers just analyzing data for fun. And, uh, you know, we might turn up a lot. I, I think it's going to happen. Now, there's a, a question that I know our, our listeners are going to have, and that is, what are the differences between the bulletproof diet, which is basically high healthy fat, moderate protein, no processed carbs. What are the differences between that versus the perfect health diet? Like, can you help us understand some some variables that you're looking at with the diet in your book? Yeah, well, the, they have a lot of common ground. So, uh, the perfect health diet is fairly high in, in fat. You know, sort of typically fifty percent to sixty five percent fat. Um, it's almost all saturated and monounsaturated fat. We favor keeping polyunsaturated fats pretty low. Yay. And with a balance of omega-6 and omega-3. So, you know, our favorite oils would be coconut oil, butter, sour cream. And uh, our favorite meats would be uh, beef, lamb, you know, sort of ruminant meats and seafood like shellfish and salmon, you know, things that are low in omega-6. We're sort of... Uh, I'd say more moderate carb, like uh, 20 to 30% carb and uh, maybe 15% protein. You know, but there's nothing wrong with eating more protein if you like that. And, uh, you know, definitely some uh, athletes, bodybuilders prefer a little higher protein. We have a big emphasis on avoiding toxins. So I know you put a big emphasis on avoiding mycotoxins. There's all sorts of uh, sources of toxins, and uh, uh, you know, but definitely, uh, it really pays to get uh, fresh food. You know, plant plant and animal foods pretty pretty close from uh, harvest or uh, or slaughter. 
Are you looking at lipopolysaccharides at all? That it's been a big area of research for me in the upcoming bulletproof diet that I'm working on. Is yeah, that, that's a yeah. part of what you're doing. Well, they're certainly very important in health. So endotoxemia, uh, or met it's often called metabolic endotoxemia, yes. is a major cause of metabolic syndrome and obesity. You know, so basically, you know, it's thought that the lipopolysaccharides come mainly from gut bacteria. So the gut bacteria are constantly reproducing and dying. And when they die, they disintegrate and they release these cell wall components and toxins. And uh, those can be, uh, you know, most of them are fat-soluble, and they can be carried into the body with uh, uh, the fat that you eat. And uh, the amount that gets carried in, if it's large, it causes inflammation, and uh, it can harm the liver. It can uh, harm your ability to uh, manage your metabolism properly. And, you know, so it's a, it's a major cause of obesity. And, you know, so a, a really big factor is what foods, you know, lead to that. You know, what foods lead to a big influx of lipopolysaccharides into the body. And what foods, you know, produce this big release of lipopolysaccharides by gut bacteria. You know, so my belief is that Lots of sugar and lots of omega-6 fats are major drivers of endotoxemia. Yes. You know, so if you, if you cut down on fructose, you cut down on omega-6 fats, then you know, you'll have a much healthier uh, gut and uh, less inflammation. Right now, I imagine that listeners familiar with uh, the Bulletproof recommendations can see why I'm such a fan of your work, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there, there is a lot of common ground, so... Well, let's talk about supplements because you and I don't always have common ground on supplements. I don't think any of your recommendations are irrational or just plain wrong. They're just a little different. What do you recommend? I mean, in part four of your book, you go into detail about supplements, but what's the daily recommendation for people when someone asks you for a top 10 or a top five list? Like what, what are the things that you really focus on? Yeah, well, um, we focus both on foods and, and supplements. So <clears throat> we don't recommend... Uh, uh, multivitamin. We we used to, but uh, we got really frustrated. We couldn't find any multivitamins we liked, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's too easy to get too much of some things and not enough of others. So we went away from that, went more towards food, and there's just there's just a handful of supplements that it's kind of hard to get from food in the amounts we think are optimal. Um, so the foods we recommend taking is in the way you would take supplements, meaning eat them routinely, are three egg yolks a day, uh, more if you're pregnant or planning to become pregnant. So that's important for choline and a few others like uh, vitamin A, folate. Regularly having a bowl of soup made from uh, bones and joints. So that gives calcium, phosphorus, and collagen from the joint material. Um, and then having a variety of vegetables, especially high potassium vegetables like tomato and potatoes, and uh, sea vegetables are, are good. Uh, dark chocolate is a good uh, plant food. We recommend about a third of a pound of beef or lamb liver per week. Um, 
that's another source of vitamin A, but uh, it's extremely important for copper and also for choline. And then, in general, we recommend um, a diet that's founded on seafood and ruminant animal meats. So, like beef, lamb, fish, shellfish, um, eggs. Um, so that's important for keeping omega-6 fats low. Those also tend to be high in selenium and some other uh, trace minerals. Uh, because, for instance, if you're a ruminant, you eat a lot of uh, a great many plants in order to get a little bit of energy. Um, so they eat very nutrient-dense diets, and their meat tends to be more nutrient-dense. And similarly, we recommend eating um, organ meats. So I mentioned, mentioned liver. Kidney is another good one. And then in addition to a nutrient-dense diet, the supplements that we recommend taking daily are vitamin D as needed to optimize your serum 25-hydroxyvitamin D level. So we think the optimum is around 40 nanograms per milliliter, which is 100 millimoles per liter if you're in Canada. We recommend vitamin K2. We recommend a little bit of magnesium. So magnesium is mainly in the water uh, uh, traditionally in like Paleolithic times, but now our water is treated, and it's hard to get enough magnesium. Um, iodine is another one we recommend. Uh, you can probably get enough just by eating seafood and, and seaweed, but uh, um, a lot of people don't, so I think it, it's not bad uh, to make a practice of supplementing a little bit. And then vitamin C is another one we, we recommend. So then there's some others that you know we would consider optional because some people get enough uh, and don't need them, but a lot of people are deficient. Um, and then there's a few that we recommend taking weekly because, you know, the dose should be a little bit lower, uh, but you want to make sure that you're not deficient. That was a pretty amazing list, and it's one that I, I support in in large part. Um, the recommendations are in, in alignment here, but I have a couple questions for you. First one is, what about tomato and potato and lectins and rheumatoid arthritis and 20% and of arthritis being tied to nightshade vegetables? I, I recommend people at least test themselves for that. Do you have any suggestions or reasons that you've put those high on your list of good things? That's a good question. You know, how, how many people are really damaged by nightshades? So definitely some people are sensitive. And it's a good idea if you have any symptoms like that, it's a good idea to test it. So remove the nightshades from your diet for a while and then do a nightshade party. Have like salsa and yeah. guacamole and stuff <laughs> and, uh, you know, see how, see how it affects you. You know, but my belief is that, you know, most people tolerate them fine. In general, the uh, nightshade toxins, you know, the parts of the plants that we eat don't have a lot of them, you know, like, especially for instance, potatoes, the tubers have almost none of the nightshade toxins. Uh, those are mostly in the potato fruit and the potato leaves. You know, tomatoes, they, they do have some, uh, you know, but I think in general, if, you're, if your gut is healthy and your immune function is good, you should clear, most people will clear them pretty effectively, you know, so there's a variety of uh, immune defenses which are designed to clear them. You know, like we have IgA antibodies in the gut that bind to these things and, you know, effectively clear them. And uh, 
yeah, they can contribute to arthritis, but that's in a small fraction of people. And they can be, you know, very nourishing foods. It's, it's hard to find a better potassium source than tomatoes. Yeah, so. and you've got lycopene too. So I, I definitely recommend when people are trying to test themselves, they, they don't eat them. But yeah, add stuff back in and see how you do. I, I think that's the best way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and tomatoes have a pretty healthy form of fiber. They have a lot of pectin, you know. So it's a uh, you know, in, in general, I would hate to recommend that people, you know, completely eliminate foods from their diet when most people might benefit from them from yeah, eating them. It, it's, a, um, it's very individual. you know, and plus pleasure in eating is an important part of life. Also, speaking of pleasure, let's talk about liver. I've eaten live termites out of the mound. I've eaten yak pizza in Tibet. Uh, like I'm, I'm pretty adventurous there. I hate liver. I try and eat cooked beef or lamb liver, and I basically want to Ralph. I've been using desiccated, grass-fed liver. Do you see a problem with desiccation? I mean, I've had liver smoothies to try and make you go down faster, but is, is desiccated safe within your understanding of things? It seems okay uh, to me, but I worry about the fats. I, I really want your opinion. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think it's safe. I mean, in in general, I prefer, you know, relatively fresh, you know, or frozen uh, meats to uh, you know things that have been sitting around for a while, you know. But that will preserve a lot of the uh, micronutrients. You know, so of course, in liver, we we do want some things that are fairly fragile, like uh, vitamin A and like phospholipids. So there, there is potentially an issue there. As far as the taste, you know, one thing, a, a few things we've found, if you eat grass-fed liver, it tastes grass-finished, you know, liver from grass-finished cows, it tastes so much better than uh, from conventional cows. So just, you know, don't even bother getting conventional beef liver. Yes. Um, I, I think... You know, they probably all have fatty liver disease and lots of inflammation, and uh, it just doesn't taste good. You can also, if you get younger animals, like veal, uh, then the livers will taste better. Also, it's important to clear the blood out. So you can soak them in water and rinse them. You can actually simmer them a little, you know, a little bit, uh, discard all the water, and then add fresh water. Uh, so clearing out the blood really improves the taste. Ah, and, thank um, you. I needed to know that. <laughs> yeah, that's an important, uh, you know, it's it, it's really congealed blood adds a lot of negative taste. And, you know, that that's true of a lot of organs. When you make you make bone broth, I would recommend doing that also because the, the blood on the bones will make them taste badly. You know, so, so just doing a little simmer. Uh, you know, some people recommend simmering in milk because... You know, milk will have things like lactoferrin that binds iron, and, and that will also help, you know, clear out the blood even better. Um, but it's not really necessary if you if you simmer it in water and discard that uh, and then add fresh water. You know, that'll help a lot. And, you know, then you can mix it with other things, you know, make a pate. Um, you can mix it with vegetables and, and so on, and that'll help hide the taste. You know, so really, I think... If you if you prepare it properly, then it tastes it tastes very good. But I know you know not everyone is going to agree with that. Uh, fair fair point. Uh, let's talk eggs. I, I'm a huge fan of raw egg yolks as well. 
but I get questions from people about egg allergies, and I, in fact, I'm allergic to eggs, but I find that raw yolks don't seem to trigger my allergies personally, yet cooked egg whites can. What's your take on that? What's your experience with the people who have experimented with your diet, the people in your book? Where do egg allergies fall on the overall spectrum of things? Yeah, well, egg allergies, you know, first of all, there, there's two things about it. One thing to understand is that the allergy is to egg proteins, and of course the, the egg white is all protein. The egg yolk does have some protein, but it's a it's a much lower percentage. So if you discard the whites and, and eat the yolks, which is what I do, me too. If, even if you do have an allergy, it'll be a you know much much milder reaction. And then the other thing is, you know, first of all, egg, egg allergies do go away, so you you know, you tend to get them when you have a leaky gut and, you know, but if your gut gets healthy, uh, then you'll tolerate the, the egg much better. And another thing that people, that studies have found is that you won't generate an egg allergy just from exposure to egg proteins alone. They need some kind of adjuvant, you know, which, which binds to the egg proteins and then gets detected by the immune system to make the immune system form antibodies to the uh, to the egg proteins. And in most people, the most common adjuvant is actually wheat gluten. So if you're on a gluten-free diet and you stay on that for quite a while, you know, then your egg allergy may go away. So, you know, I would encourage people to uh, you know, if, if you've had an egg allergy in the past, you may need to avoid for them for a while, uh, but try reintroducing egg yolks, not the whites, just the yolks, and just test them and see if you, if you can tolerate them now. It seems like most of my coaching clients, when I work with them, exactly that. Raw egg yolks are so easily tolerated by all but the most extreme cases uh, that it's, it's a great recommendation. Can we switch a bit to sleep? I know that you pay some attention to circadian rhythms. What's your take on circadian rhythm and especially people, well, we'll say like me, who are working on sleep efficiency and trying to live within the limits of circadian rhythms, but definitely kind of cheating at the edges. What's your take on that? What's your take on what people should be doing optimally? Yeah, well, you know, um, we think that chronic infections have a huge impact on health and yeah. that they're a big part of aging that you know we gradually build up all these infections with age and eventually they overwhelm our immune system and, and cause diseases of aging and uh, you know so one of the things that's really important is to have good immune function and be constantly clearing all of these infections from your body and your immune system follows circadian rhythms so you have you know certain immune function occurs at night while you're sleeping you know, that's the time of antibody generation and uh, uh, other types of immune function. And so every part of the day has a different role to play in supporting your immune function. And so it's very important to have good circadian rhythms in order to maintain a well-balanced, well-functioning immune system. And it turns out that anything that disrupts those circadian rhythms has a huge impact on your health. So if we look at you know things like night shift work, um, which disrupts circadian rhythms, it takes like 
six years off your life. If you never exercise, it'll take like six years off your life. If you're, if you're not exposed to sunshine or bright lights during the day, it'll take like six years off your life. You know, so basically anything that uh, disrupts your circadian rhythms and we need, to, we need to stimulate them with very bright light or sunlight during the day. Uh, we need to get very little light exposure at night. We need to concentrate our eating you know, so that we're not eating 24 hours a day. Uh, we need to get some exercise in the daytime. We need to get rest at night. You know, we need some kind of social interaction during the day. All of these things are really important for health. They're really important for training various circadian rhythms and for supporting immune function. So it's really hard, you know, if you don't get good sleep, that's another thing that's going to uh, harm you uh, a great deal. And, you know, in, in many ways, these circadian rhythms, they might be, you know, the number one impact on health and lifespan. So one of the things that's interesting in these centenarian studies, you know, you may have seen the book the Blue Zones by uh, Dan Butner. He goes to these places. Uh, he just had an article on this, this island of uh, Icaria in Greece. And, you know, the common thing you find in all these centenarians is they get exercise every day. You know, like these Greek islanders, they live in a very steep island and they, they're always walking up and down the hill. And they get out and get in the sun. You know, most of these places that have proven to be long-lived have a lot of sunshine. You know, like the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California, or these uh, Greek islanders in the Aegean. And, uh, you know, they have good social lives. They're, they're always socializing, talking, dealing with friends during the day. Um, they get good sleep at night. Uh, they don't have a lot of light at night. Often they don't have a lot of electricity. They don't have television. You know, so they're, they're not staying up until midnight watching television, um, you know, which is probably a significant disruptor of circadian rhythms for a lot of people. So, you know, I, that, that does seem to be, all, all of the evidence suggests that circadian rhythms and sleep are extremely important. And, uh, you know, we should really tend carefully to them. Could not agree more with you, Paul. We're coming to the end of the amount of time we have together. And there's a question that I ask everyone on the show. And that is, what are your top three recommendations for someone who wants to be as high performance as they possibly can be, just to reach their, their maximum potential in all aspects of their life? So it doesn't have to be just diet or nutrition or anything else, but your top three from everything you've learned in your career and in your research. Well, I would say, you know, first of all, get rid of as many toxins from your diet as you can. You know, so eliminate grains except white rice, which is uh, pretty toxin-free. Yep. Um, eliminate most legumes, beans, soybeans, peanuts, eliminate vegetable seed oils, eliminate fructose sugars, just eat natural plant and animal foods. Um, so that would be number one. Number two would be cultivate a healthy lifestyle, tend to your circadian rhythms, try to get at least a little exercise every day. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be strenuous. Uh, in fact, it should be you know, sort of restorative, 
make you feel refreshed afterwards. So, so movement, uh, you're talking rather about. than exhausting most of the time. You know, but it is important to get some activity routinely. You know, every day. Um, it's important to get bright light exposure, sunlight exposure every day. It's important to get some social engagement every day. So, you know, try and build some good circadian rhythms, good daily routines into your lifestyle uh, that are supportive of immune function and enable yourself to rest, relax, and get a good night's sleep at night. So as much as possible, go to sleep early enough so that you can wake naturally and don't need, uh, don't need an alarm. And then I guess the third thing I would say is if you're doing those things, then one thing I would do is really minimize omega-6 fats and polyunsaturated fats and try to get a good amount of saturated fats. So I think that um, is actually one of the under-recognized ways to extend your lifespan to give you a better body composition, uh, you know, to help men build muscle more easily, uh, to help women build a better figure, and also to extend lifespan. So one of the things we conclude the book with is a bunch of anecdotes from super centenarians. So that's people who live to 110 or older. And it turns out they tend to eat a lot of saturated fat. Uh, <laughs> And another thing they do often is intermittent fasting, uh, which yeah. is a good thing to do. So I'll make that number four. Your list is is so good. I love that list. And I'm dying to know if you measure your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in your blood. Um, I haven't measured it. So that would be an interesting, interesting thing to do. You know, if you ever do, please tell me. Uh, I've been asking people who really pay attention like like you do. Uh, one of the guys, in fact, the only one who's been lower than me was uh, Dr. Larry Smarr, um, who's out of UC San Diego and is a big star in the quantified self movement. His ratio was one, uh, mine is uh, 1.28. And uh, there's a few people who are under two, and I'm betting with you and your diet that you'd be one of the people under two, and it, it seems to have a pretty big impact. So um, send me your data when you get it. <laughs> okay, sure. Paul, tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and your work. I'm sure a lot of them are going to want to check out your book and your website. Yeah, well, our website is perfecthealthdiet.com, and you can find information about the book there. It's uh, published by Scribner. It's in bookstores. It's in uh, Amazon, other online outlets. Uh, there's going to be an Australian, New Zealand, and United Kingdom edition. Um, there's going to be a Hungarian edition and hopefully some other languages too. So there should be plenty of ways to find it. And uh, we're really, really hopeful that the book will have an impact and uh, help a lot of people cure their diseases and live much longer lives. There is not a much higher goal than that. Paul, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, thank you very much, Dave. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.